What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs, and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Disclaimer. Horror Hill is a horror anthology podcast bringing you scary stories from all corners of the internet and beyond. As such, certain stories include content that some listeners might find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back to Horror Hill. We've got a good one for you tonight from an author that's brand new to the show, J.R. Hamantaschen. I've been familiar with J.R.'s work for a few years, and I'm happy that we finally get to bring him into the fold. This story is titled, Sorrow Has Its Natural End. Meet Max, a young man in his early 20s with two big problems. The first is that he has lost most of his sight to a degenerative retinal condition. The second is that he has let his situation embitter him to the world. One morning, Max stumbles across an account of another person with a similar vision issue, someone who has just had cutting-edge surgery 
pun very much intended, and has now regained his sight. Max, filled with sudden hope, reaches out to this person, unaware of the horror that he has already set into motion. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today and get instant access. Did I mention they're ad-free? Thank you for your support. And now, from author J.R. Hamantaschen, I give you Sorrow Has Its Natural End. Max came to, in the same bed he'd woken up in all his life, and shortly after began to cry. Considering the way he bolted himself out of bed, an ignorant bystander could have been forgiven for thinking he was a model of efficiency, and be envious of his get-up-and-go attitude. Up and at him. He'd initially bounded out of bed as if he had something to wake up to, the whole time intuiting that something was amiss. His stomach sparked, stirred by some undefined anxiety. Now he remembered... His body and reality were working across purposes. There was no reason to propel himself out of bed, after all. He was still functionally blind. He still had no life to look forward to. Having been asleep for far longer than he anticipated, he had somehow forgotten the routine. Wake up, ready to go. Recognize something was wrong feel a pang of panic upon discovering that the world around him still appeared alien and borderline indecipherable, obscured under a perpetual dim haze. He was still prisoner to otherworldly angles and shapes conjured up by two ruined retinas. Calm himself down by sitting on his bed. Nothing can harm him in his room. Worry about how he would make it through the day about how he was still dependent upon the mother he despised, surviving on pity like some emotional parasite. Another day to look forward to, spent idling away in his mother's home, her trying her best to talk to him about film or culture or art, intellectual stuff, the type of stuff she knew he used to enjoy. Her observations would be cliched at best, nonsensical at worst, He tried his best to be respectful and appreciate her efforts, but he could never entirely eliminate the dismissive tone in his voice. Preserving his intellectual integrity was the only part of himself that remained unspoiled by his relatively recent myopia. That may not be true, he thought. He hadn't cared about intellectual integrity too much before his retinas both decided to fuck up on him. He used to tolerate and even encourage his mother to seek out interesting books, films, theater, and the like, and had enjoyed hearing her thoughts about them. 
But now, she was his only outlet, and he couldn't stand it. This was what he woke up to, yet again. So he cried, as if whatever caused his retinal problems was just a toxin that could be flushed out with enough tears. When he was done, he reached out and felt for his Coke bottle glasses. These things had cost a fortune, and still they were distractingly thick and always smudgy, all of the anti-reflective coating long come undone. But they helped because once his glasses were on, a world where colors and shapes bled into each other without rhyme or reason became a little easier to take. At best, the world became an impressionistic painting, some forest, no trees. He sometimes joked, to himself, that druggy kids would pay a boatload to experience the trippy sensory experience of navigating through his vision. There was no indication that his mother was home, which was bittersweet. He made his way to the kitchen, slow and steady, using his hands as a guide, all the while suppressing thoughts of how those blind, grubby cave rats get around. That toothy kind that elicit ewes from all right-thinking people. Feeling around his designated corner of the kitchen, his heart skipped a beat when he realized his cup wasn't there. His convenience cup, his mother called it. She had always been fond of alliteration. There was a stack of newspapers and magazines on the kitchen table. His mother had never even bothered to get the large type versions of any of these publications. Maybe she didn't want to acknowledge the truth, always convinced his eyes would just somehow get better. The dark side of wishful thinking, he guessed. Nothing's going wrong, the captain says as he sinks along with his ship. If he pressed his face close enough to the type, he could read and comprehend just fine, even though the words shimmied and waved as if they were caught in a gentle stream. True, he had to rest his eyes every twenty minutes or so, but without his mom here checking up on him, look out, literary party time. Maybe he'd even try to make sense of some graphs and charts. How could my eyes get any worse? He'd snort whenever his mom would tell him not to strain his eyes. Then she'd always give him that frazzled look. Oh, don't you even start. He usually obliged, realizing the benefits of the mutually shared illusion that avoiding strain to his eyes would somehow make any difference to two scarred retinas. It took Max less than 20 minutes to find something interesting in the paper to read. His mother would have let him try to read War and Peace in one sitting if she saw the intense interest generated by one of the articles in the recent Journal News, Westchester County, New York's local paper. Successful use of experimental retinal therapy bodes well for detached retina sufferers. If you had learned that White Plains, New York resident Dennis Dunham had undergone an experimental procedure making use of nanotechnology particles, you would probably guess the procedure concerned his teeth. That's because, these days, Dennis cannot stop smiling. But you'd be wrong, because in what ophthalmologists are calling a revolutionary breakthrough, nanoparticles were actually used to fix structural damage to his eyes. 
The traditional procedure to fix a detached retina, where something called a scleral buckle is secured around the eyeball to reattach the retina closer to the vitreous membrane, is often incapable of restoring full sight. Dennis, however, was chosen to be a test case for a new procedure, in which nanotechnology particles were used to fill and restore tears to his left retina, which had recently detached as a result of a serious car accident. Dennis is grateful for how well the procedure has worked out. It's great. My vision's perfect. 2020, if not better. Ophthalmologists and retinal specialists tracking the results of the procedure report no complications, not even the swelling or dry eye that often accompany the use of a scleral buckle. We are thrilled with the results, reports Dr. Howard Charles, Mr. Dunham's retinal surgeon. In the next few years, we hope to be able to bring this technology to market. Medical device experts, however, estimate that the technology may not be readily available to the public for several years, if not longer. Max's day had taken an abrupt but welcome right turn. His eyes were just as damaged as always, and he was surely as cynical a bastard as ever, but something about holding that article in his hand filled him with possibility. Placing it back on the table, his eyes were still shattered placeholders, and thoughts of earthly concerns he couldn't cope with threatened to bring to mind that astute adage about hands wishing and shitting. But no, fuck that. He had explained to his mom time and time again why her belief in wishful thinking did nothing for him as he had no hope in sight. He sighed internally when she inevitably failed to recognize the pun. But now, even though he was still stuck in his plight and some other person, some Dennis Dunham, was extolling the miracle of restored sight, well, it was something, wasn't it? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> this is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. 
with carefully curated original tales of terror each week. Our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. If you're like us here at Chilling Tales and enjoy feeling your stomach filling with dread as dastardly demons dance in your head, make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now to always be the first to enjoy the horror show. He had to meet him. White Plains was only about a 20-minute cab ride tops. He made it back to his room and ventured into his closet, toward the back, in all its musty glory. In the far corner, concealed behind a pile of clothes he was shocked his mother hadn't thrown out, was his personal shoebox. He had hastily, and imprudently, dumped all of his essential belongings cash, wallet, personal ID, into this shoebox, which was just as innocuous as everything else in his closet, and therefore just as apt to be thoughtlessly discarded by his mother the next time she became overcome by boredom, caffeine, and the need to clean house. In a trend he hoped would continue, he found his savings, about $400, and all his essentials accounted for. He made his way to the family computer with an alacrity unknown to him. Finding Mr. Dennis Dunham of White Plains, New York was not hard, nor was finding his employer's website, his job title, and, most importantly, his work number. Max didn't know what day it was, but just playing the odds and calling his work number sounded like a safe bet. He clutched the house phone in his hand and stayed absolutely still. He knew this was a moment. Typically, he'd shy away, unable to go through with it, preferring to hold out hope and at least have something, a goal, a dream, to irrationally pine for rather than make the mistake of being proactive and remove all doubt. As a general rule, as he repeated to himself, he preferred the quixotic to the quotidian. He also rather preferred to have someone in his life who would appreciate that clever bon mot. Perhaps a cute, nurturing girl. Someone warm and bubbly. Maybe someone who bit her lip when she laughed and... His thoughts returned to the phone and what it represented. He closed his eyes and dialed. Hello? Hello? Yes, hello? Um, is this Dennis Dunham? Yes, speaking. It felt right to keep his eyes shut during the conversation. His vision was hopeless and cracked, and keeping his eyes closed ensured Dennis's words somehow wouldn't slip through those cracks. Illogical, yes. Appropriate? Somehow. Um, this may sound weird, but I read your article interview, whatever, in the journal news, and I'm not crazy or weird, I promise, but 
it really moved me. I suffered two detached retinas, actually, practically at the same time, like two years ago, within like two weeks of each other. My vision uh, is ruined. It's all wavy, you know? It was really hard to take. Crazy. I'm young, too, in my mid-twenties like you. Not that that's what's important, right? But, I mean, I don't know, it's cool to hear of someone like me who might understand, you know, what it's like. After this fiasco, I'll need to recite portions of Frankenstein to myself just to hear articulate words coming out of my mouth. I'm usually not so inarticulate, sorry. Yeah, that made things better, asshole. No need to apologize, man. I'm glad. I've actually gotten lots of emails from people who've gone through what we've gone through. I'm always glad to hear from people. I'm glad it inspired you. I'm sorry to hear about your eye problem, and I hope things get better for you. I really do. Something irked him about Dennis's references to his lots of emails, as if he were a politician shaking the hands of his constituents en route to his armored car, waving back to them as his barricade led him to bigger and better things. At least he hadn't said something stupid like, don't call us retinal sufferers, we're retinal survivors. Well, thanks. I've had a remarkable string of coincidences. You have no idea. And then finding that article, especially since I have trouble even reading a newspaper, well, that was something. Finding someone who went through that, who lives so close to me, actually. What are the odds? Yeah, well, I'm glad. It's cool to hear from you. Listen he said, a little too abruptly. He could just imagine Dennis thinking, oh god, here's where things get strange. But you're only like 20 or so minutes away from me. I'm in Ossining, and I've never actually met anyone with my problem before, let alone anyone my age. Would it be cool if we, like, hung out or something? I could come down there, like, just grab lunch or coffee or something. The pause was positively deadly. Uh, yeah, I think that would be okay. There's a Starbucks right across the street from where I work, actually, on Main Street, near the movie theater. Okay, I could find that and meet you there. How about later today? His brain, he realized, was still playing perpetual catch-up with his mouth. Oh, yeah, I mean, I guess that could work, actually. I don't have any plans today after work, really. How about, like, 5.30? Yeah, sure, sure. What is that, like, three hours? About that. Cool, man. Cool. I'll meet you out in front of the Starbucks. Cool, man. I appreciate it. It'll be cool. I know you may be wary of, like, hanging out with some stranger, but, like, I appreciate it. Think about it anyways. I'm disabled. If I tried anything, you could probably beat me up. Why, oh why, am I still speaking? That was a joke. I mean, not that you couldn't, but, you know. Yeah, cool. Okay, man. 5.30, see you there. He could no longer use Uber because he had trouble making out any details on his phone. Max hung up and dialed the local taxi company. It was a number he'd committed to memory, and now he finally got to use it.
Max? Yes, sirree. How'd you know? Dennis just had a feeling. Just something about this guy. An air of slouchy, inward sadness. The way he stood near the door, massaging his hands, jittery. He seemed to be perpetually lifting his eyes, like a puppy solicitous of and eager to regain his master's affection. Lucky guess, I guess. Starbucks' economic fortunes were supposedly on the wane, but you'd never know it, given the line of people eagerly awaiting their chance to fork over $7 or more for Starbucks' brand of glorified milkshakes. They still have frappuccinos, right? They certainly do. I can't read the menu back there. Max motioned broadly toward the indistinct blur of text and color behind the counter. So it makes me something of a traditionalist. A frappuccino man. Yeah, good to stick to the classics. Can't go wrong with the classics. You okay, by the way? Yeah, Max said, interlocking his fingers to prevent his hands from traveling to and fro, as if they were under arrest. Just nervous, honestly. Nah, don't be. It's cool, man. Dennis was, in no small part, relieved that Max was true to his word and didn't appear to be a homicidal maniac. After getting their drinks, they grabbed a seat outside. So, man, is your vision really fully restored? Yeah, it is. Wow, that's awesome. Dennis pecked at his macchiato. Only my left eye was detached, by the way. My right eye was fine the whole time. The left was briefly detached after a car accident. Oh. Telling Max this fact about his right eye felt more like an admission of something rather than just a clarification. Dennis didn't want to continue, but something compelled him. Yeah, before I got the procedure, my right eye compensated for me, so it wasn't that huge of a deal. Ah. Yeah. Dennis took a long pull from his macchiato as Max's iced frappuccino sat unattended, the ice disappearing into his cup and diluting the drink. If you don't mind, what happened to your eyes? Dennis asked. Genetics, I guess. Growing up, I always had severe astigmatism. Astigmatism. The word always bringing to mind stigmata and all its concomitant notions about suffering. I always had eyeball floaters, you know, those black dots in the vision. So while I was at college, and I went to college out of state, my left retina detached and I didn't do anything about it. I knew something was wrong. I remember being at a museum and when I closed my right eye, I couldn't read the museum display in the periphery of my vision, like it looked all cut off. But I didn't think it was anything serious. Thought I just needed a new prescription or something. So I told my mom, and of course, she told me to just stop worrying, that I was always worried about everything and I just needed my prescription changed. And I talked to other people and they were like, yeah, you're fine, you're a worrier, chill out, kids in their 20s don't go blind. So I just let myself believe it because I didn't want to think about the consequences. Plus, my family didn't have a lot of money and I had shitty insurance. So I just waited, and like a week or so later, the same shit happened to my right eye. So I got rushed to an emergency room because I couldn't even recognize myself in the mirror anymore. Jesus. 
That part about not having a lot of money was a literal lie, but an emotional truth. His father paid his child support and his more than fair share of the divorce agreement, and Max and his mom weren't hurting for money. But for some reason, it didn't feel like a lie. It was a cultural shorthand to convey the deprivation he felt in his soul. Well, I was partly right. Turns out I did need a new prescription. Just a zillion times stronger than before. Dennis snorted to show he understood the joke, but laughing felt disrespectful. Yeah, the doctors told me the odds of both my retinas detaching in like a two-week period is practically unheard of. If they'd caught it sooner, they could have frozen the right eye and closed all the holes forming. So after the surgeries, my eyes are still fucked up. But they closed the holes that formed, so all that vitreous gel that seeped in through the holes in my eyes are stuck in there, so it's like weird. It's like all these black spots. It's like a Japanese Rimpa painting. Dennis nodded, pantomiming understanding. It's like a veritable black dot army. Dennis regretted being so cavalier about the triviality of his trauma. He should have embellished or something. I try not to let the experience completely deprive me, Max lied. I wasn't some sad sack before, I try not to be now. I could be pretty funny before, you know. Well liked, kind of. That joke about needing glasses a zillion times stronger, that's just a drop in the bucket of the jokes I have to offer. To my adoring public... He smiled sheepishly and sipped from his water and sugar chino. Whatever burdens were inhibiting Max at the beginning of their meeting had been seemingly transferred to Dennis. Now it was Max who interrupted the slurping and sipping, his speech quickening, keeping pace with his burgeoning enthusiasm. So that nanotech was some pretty serious shit, right? Dennis explained how he had been selected for the procedure gliding over choice details he'd rather not divulge, worrying that each pause used to assemble his story was overly suggestive with intimations of the nepotism he was carefully excising from his story. With impressive candor, but growing shame, he admitted that returning to his previous life post-surgery had been essentially seamless. Cool. So you never see any floaters? No. Cool. Even then, as Max shifted his vision, a bright light, some remnant of the vitreous gel held captive behind his eye, lumbered into his view and temporarily blocked his vision. An eclipse of the heart was romantic. An eclipse of the eye, not so much. The floaters always reminded him of going to the aquarium as a kid and looking through those portholes and seeing those massive whales coming out of nowhere. Absent-mindedly drifting into sight, making their presence known, blocking out everything else, and then floating on by. Cool, cool, Max repeated. Yeah, so I've tried to not let my eye problem define me. Sometimes before I go to bed, I try to spin it to myself as a positive, like a humbling experience as a way to be less superficial. I can date ugly girls now with great personalities, no problem though that hasn't really worked out too much. See, I tried to be positive, but it doesn't always work out that way. 
If Dennis had met Max under different circumstances, he could imagine the two becoming genuine friends. They shared the same morbid sense of humor and lapidary delivery. But Dennis knew the low-level idolatry on display was toxic, and what made it worse was that Dennis could picture Max before his accident, before his cool composure had curdled into this obvious, transparent need. Even now, Max looked at Dennis almost longingly, fearful of silences, desirous of chatter, as if to reassure himself that his presence was welcomed. It was nice meeting you, Max. Dennis had become so impatient to leave that he almost believed that he really did have somewhere else to go. Yeah, I should get back. My mom might be worried about me. God, could have phrased that better. Well, anyway, thanks for meeting with me. It's cool to meet someone like me. I now know why all the Asian kids sat together at the school cafeteria. He smiled meekly. They exchanged information one more time and went their separate ways. Dennis had the overwhelming desire to get the fuck out of there, grab a beer, smoke a blunt, look at porn, go out, do anything, do something. Instead, Dennis went home and exploited his therapist's mistake of giving him an emergency contact number and practically bullied the poor guy into granting him an early morning appointment for the next day. Max's house was still empty when he returned home, which was fine by him. As he prepared to order in some pizza on the house phone, he saw the little splotchy red button that meant voicemail was blinking. Hi, Barbara. I forgot you're at your mom's for the week, so forget this message. I'll call you on your cell. I hope you're doing okay, relaxing as best you can. You deserve it. Lord knows you deserve it. Speak to you in a second. Well, that was that. Mom was out of town. House party. The rest of the day was uneventful. He even wrote that down on a notepad next to his bed as he got ready to go to sleep. He read it back to himself. The day was uneventful. He found it funny how the sentence could be true, but still fail to convey the emotional truth of the sentiment. Someone could read, the day was uneventful, and nod their head sympathetically but a truly uneventful day, with nothing to do, nothing to look forward to, the ceaseless, groaning hours, time without end, couldn't be conveyed in any one sentence or any combination of sentences. The emptiness of the day accreted into something almost tangible, a weight that never left him. As he prepared himself for bed, he reminded himself that suffering was a way of getting closer with the universe. Everything suffered. In that rush of emotions before sleep, he felt a kinship to all those who suffered. And that meant something to him, something he knew was of value, but for a reason he could not be sure of. Middle-class kids always tried to pass themselves off as being somehow disadvantaged, Everyone needs to believe they overcame something. It meant something to him to know that his suffering was real. Thanks for meeting me on such short notice, was how Dennis greeted his therapist the following morning. It's no problem. I had a cancellation this morning. No need to apologize. Whenever he went to a therapist, he always had to ignore that little voice in his head that told him he was being bilked. 
The therapist had a good racket. Having an insurance company pay you $95 to plaintively nod your head? So, what do you want to talk about this morning? He paused, trying to think of a way to relay everything without sounding too melodramatic. I was contacted out of the blue by this kid, about my age, who was essentially legally blind. Retinal problems, like I suffered, except his were serious. My problem was no big deal. I got it all fixed. And I actually agreed to meet him, and I could see how happy and grateful he was to meet me, and as he was telling me all these terribly sad details, I was, like, zombified. I had so many things to say, but I just couldn't say anything, like I was in a trance, I don't know. I could only just picture him sitting in his mom's basement, no friends, frustrated, a smart kid with no outlets. And he was funny and searching for a friend. And I just sat there. I couldn't do anything. My personality disappeared. I felt like I was on display, just nodding to this kid with a real problem. Kinda like you. Dennis answered his therapist's typically limp questions, which, like always, concerned the same rote topics he'd discussed a million times before. It was as if his therapist was unwilling to extend the conversation beyond some agreed-upon purview. Dennis had in mind a man looking for his keys who was too lazy to get up, so he limited his search to the couch he was seated upon. This session would be unhelpful, he concluded, so he bided his time, trying not to think about how frustrated he'd been in the past when he tried to ask the therapist a question after the session had ended, only to be rebuffed and told to wait until the next session to discuss it. When the session was over, he asked his therapist if it was normal to be experiencing this type of guilt. We can talk about that at the next session. The euphoria of meeting Dennis had faded away, and he woke up again in his room with nothing to do. He endured these perpetually boring days, but vowed never to tolerate them, as if there had been some cosmic mix-up and he'd been wrongfully punished, and as the gods of fate shuffled through their paperwork and got up to speed, they would realize there'd been a terrible mistake and relieve him of this burden. He didn't do much. He ate some carrots, which reminded him of his mother, who always implored him to eat them because they were good for his eyes. He set them aside, because while they did nothing for his eyes, thinking about her constant protestations did too much for his sense of indignation. Sleep found him earlier than usual. He knew he was asleep because he felt alarm bells rippling through the fabric of the dream, as if the flapping of the butterflies in his stomach was reverberating up from his gut and into his brain. Zoloft, a sense impression. This was like the dreams he'd had when he tried Zoloft. Everything was too vivid. Dennis genuflecting before him in reverie of some kind, the look in his eyes intense, his breathing heaving, ravenous, concupiscent for some need to be sated. Max put his palm to Dennis's forehead. From somewhere outside the dream, the contrarian aspect of Max's personality sparked to life. What is this shit? Palm on head? What is this, the Lion King? 
But the dream continued unabated, and that irascible part of him was no longer to be found. Dennis pushed forward and rubbed against Max's palm like a happy tabby cat. Dennis moaned a great, giant sucking sound. Across a great expanse, specks of luminous blue light, their intensity contrasted sharply against the pitch black of the night. His palm was rigid, a cartoon billboard ordering, Stop! It rested firmly over Dennis's left eye. Now the specks were whirling around each other in tight formation, their proximity seeming to encourage them to burn brighter, hotter, faster. The black backdrop ebbed, and all became pellucid, nothing but warm, bright light. The detritus in Max's eyes seeped out, drops thick like nectar. His field of vision clouded completely. Then, gloop, vitreous gel descended from his eye to the floor. Plink. He could see. The blue morsels roared with frenzy. His heart pattered out of his chest, sweat stained each pore, and now he was awake in bed, motionless, until the adrenaline burned out of him. The next day was all the more uneventful for the dream that had preceded it. All the pizza he was eating made him constipated. He ate some flaccid grapes he found in the fridge. He hated eating overripe fruit. It always brought to mind some nightmare scenario of having to scour for food in garbage cans. He thought of calling Dennis, but declined. He dreamed again that night. It ended the same way. He could see. In the dream, Dennis looked on coquettishly. Max had to call the next day. Dennis picked up on the first ring. That Dennis picked up at all surprised him. That he picked up on the first ring startled him. Max didn't expect that, and he wished he'd had more time to compose himself. Hi. Hey, glad you called. So he was. Max felt discombobulated by Dennis's newfound eagerness to learn all about him. Your greatest fear? What? I asked if eye problems were always your greatest fear, Dennis repeated. I guess. Also, you know when you're wearing a longish, button-down shirt? I always worried about taking a shit while wearing one of those and accidentally mistaking the toilet paper for it and wiping my ass with my own shirt. Dennis laughed, and Max smiled. Hey, we should hang out this weekend. Grab a drink. Really? Max replied, curious. The butterflies were starting up. I guess I can take a cab down there. They swapped addresses and vital information. Hey man, one thing. Before I come over, you should Google me. The butterflies sparked to life. Max had crossed some threshold. He worried for his sleep. What? You should Google me. Dennis involuntarily squinted his eyes, as if it would bring into sharper focus the purpose behind Max's request. He thought, of all things, of the time he was at Boston's South Station waiting for his Amtrak train back to New York. A homeless guy had approached him, and just as he was bracing himself to deliver the usual spiel, 
The sorry man, the show of empty hands, the guy caught Dennis off guard by asking him to buy him some soup. Sure, Dennis had replied. I can buy you some soup. So he did, and the homeless guy thanked him and told him his name, Clive Irving, and asked Dennis not to forget about him. Now he knew why he thought of Clive. Just like Clive's request for soup, Max's request to be Googled awoke Dennis from senescence and reminded him that he was dealing with a real person. Autonomic responses to the homeless, autonomic responses to charity, autonomic responses... This was charity, wasn't it? Hanging out with him because of pity? He was so zealous to prove to himself that he was a good person that he wasn't even considering what Max was saying or how he was feeling. He'd been going through the motions, and he felt he'd been inadvertently called out on it. Okay. Dennis resolved to do it with an open mind, even if only to find the back catalog of articles Max had written for a student newspaper or the webcomic Max used to work on or whatever it was Max wanted him to find. Okay, cool. I'll see you Saturday, like noonish. Cool. See you then. It was Thursday. Max had two days of waiting. He spent the rest of his time simultaneously terrified but excited about the dreams he might dream, to see if the specters and half-glimpsed images that visited him in his sleep would make themselves fully formed. As anxious as this all made him, it beat being bored. With all that he'd been through, he knew that meeting Dennis had been no accident. He dreamt again that night, but now the details were much grislier. The images came with a clarity unknown to him. At the denouement of the dream, again, he could see. All was clear. He awoke in a cold sweat. He lay on his bed, blanket wrapped around him, wishing he could believe that he was wrapped under a hermetic seal, a little universe all his own. Then he just lay there as if through inaction he could pretend this was just any other day, any other boring day, that the dream hadn't occurred, that he had gotten the details wrong. But ever since he awoke that morning on the day he had met Dennis, he could no longer tolerate the concept of coincidence. He prepared himself, which itself felt like a sin. As he went about preparing himself, he performed his usual double takes at every visual distortion he recognized, hyper aware of every incongruity between his sense of sight and what he knew the world to be. This was no real world, he told himself. I've learned that. This is something else, a phantasmagoria. Other people got to live in their world, the real world, while he was condemned to navigate this insufferable facsimile a degraded vortex of askew angles and impossible distances. But no longer. He was cashing out. When the days had passed and the time came, he called the cab company and prepared for his trip. He rode stoically in silence in the back of the cab. He felt ugly and surly, and could picture a little dark storm cloud above his head. Hey. Hey, man. Dennis's apartment was well-designed, 
Luxurious in a generic way, with its cliched reliance on high polish, gleaming surfaces, and modern angularity. Par for the course, there were little affects on the kitchen faucet, the type of stuff tailor-made to impress a newly working sorority girl. Max pondered what image he was supposed to be making out from Dennis's high-def flat screen, if the image weren't being filtered through the aquarium-like filter of his retina. High definition, low resolution. So, man, Dennis invited. If the apartment had been disheveled, that would have been an obnoxious affront. That the apartment was antiseptic and clean, that too was an obnoxious affront. Max's voice inhabited the room more than his body. So, you get a chance to look me up online? Max thought he saw Dennis unconsciously lift his eyebrows. Yeah, man, I did. Creepy. Creepy? Yeah, man, creepy. It's gotta be creepy to have someone with your same name kill himself. I'd call that creepy. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Max's prize fighter, thousand yard stare temporarily broke. You want a drink or anything? I got some beers in the fridge. Brooklyn Pen and Ales. Good shit. No, I'm good. His syllables slow to form, a step behind the chaos between his skull. Maybe just an apple or something? Okay. He took an apple from the fridge and lobbed it softly from a foot away. He was a good shot. Max barely had to clinch his hand to catch it. Still, it was an insensitive dick move, Max thought, Pincher gripping the apple until stickiness smeared his fingertips. Dennis, don't you think it's weird we're hanging out? No, he said, taking his first swig. It was your idea. You saying it's weird is weird, actually. A moment of silence. Come on, man. Stop. You seemed chill, interesting. You asked. I'm down to hang out. Some of my friends will be at some bars later. Ever been to the Thirsty Turtle? What would meeting Dennis's friends be like? Attractive young professionals of serviceable intelligence and standard interests. Guys in finance, girls in advertising. Juggling the demands of an active social life and a nascent career. Max acting as Dennis's token of magnanimity and humility. Max deceiving himself into pretending that, just maybe, he could create a lasting bond with any of these normal, happy people. Sure, he could be tolerated at social events, thought of as endearing in that sad, Eeyore-like way, but would they be willing to pick him up at his house to accept him, integrate them into their group? And why would he even want them to, since they were likely dumb and boorish and boring, not of his milieu? God, what is wrong with me? With all my time to myself, all I do is nitpick, as if I'm any better than Dennis's friends, doing nothing, feeling sorry for myself. Think about the diving bell and butterfly, what that guy went through. No, fuck that. That shit made him feel worse about himself. Fuck that. He was young and smart and interesting and clever, warm and empathetic, and had it not been for two retinas and processes he couldn't comprehend, he'd never need to be settling and groveling for friends, 
Dennis was looking at him, brows furrowed, tense, like a dog waiting for the squirrel to pop out from the hole. You know, Dennis, it kind of hurt my feelings when you lobbed that apple at me. You know my vision's bad. Dennis exhaled hard into his beer. Okay, man, I'm sorry. Didn't mean anything by it. His voice echoed into the bottle. The impatience with which he said, okay, said it all. That wasn't someone else you read about online, by the way. Not a close reader there, huh? Dennis went to the kitchen with another beer, popping it open with something on his keychain. If you didn't hear me, I said that it wasn't some other person who killed himself. What article did you read? How many people named Max Hamlin in Ossining, New York do you think there are, man? Dennis took a swig of his beer, slow and methodical. What are you trying to say? Let me ask again. How many people named Max Hamlin do you think live in Ossining, New York? I don't know, he shrugged. One less than there was two weeks ago. I killed myself, Dennis. I killed myself, he repeated, shaking his head, tingling. Dennis didn't flinch. No, you didn't. You're talking to me right now. You didn't fucking kill yourself. Either it was someone else with your name, or the magazine fucked up and saw your name and got the dead person confused with you, or you tried to kill yourself or something and the story got misreported or something. Now it was Max's turn to dismissively exhale. What did he expected? Dennis's explanations were aggravating in their plausibility. He liked Dennis cursing, pissed, losing patience. At least it showed that he wasn't patronizing or infantilizing. But no, that would come next, now that Max was tearing up. Must be the stress, Dennis was probably thinking, or the loneliness. This has all signified nothing. Max thought. Soon this stress and aggravation would be over and he'd be back home, and the night would unfold as usual, another night accompanied by his overbearing mother. Then, back to his bed, his stillness punctuated by his joyless, flaccid masturbation and the futile attempts to affix his gaze on the undulating typeface of whatever life-affirming self-help book his mom had bought for him. As had happened two weeks before, what his future had in store unfurled before him. Celibacy, stagnation, dependence, permanent towny status. That's why he let himself sink into that warm bathwater with that cold, unfeeling razor blade, wasn't it? Sorry, Mom, he'd said aloud and saying that aloud had made him feel even more like a disappointment and a whiny, spoiled bitch. Even in death, he was denied dignity. Aw, little baby. Everyone's gotta feel bad for the little baby, don't they? Life's too tough, isn't it? Not enough to make your mom dote on you night and day? Aw, little boy genius can't allow any room for dishonor, can he? Not so different from those douchebags you hold in such contempt, huh? Maybe I can change, he'd thought. Be stoic. But those thoughts tumbled to and fro, sparked and were gone, warm tears down his cheek, 
warmth spurting from his wrists, warmth all around him, sinking. I'm going to tell you something, Dennis. Explain this to me if you're so fucking smart. I killed myself. For better or worse, I killed myself. I wasn't sure it was the right thing to do, but I did it. And then, now, miraculously, I'm back, like nothing ever happened. And so, coincidentally, I return, you could say, while my mother's away, grieving over me. And, coincidentally, I just happened to read a cover story in a local paper that I never paid attention to before. This cover story is about a kid around my age who suffered the same problem I did and was cured. And he lived nearby. And when I got in contact with him, he agreed to meet me. Now, tell me, what are the odds of all that happening? Dennis knew this was his opportunity to play at being the consoler. Instead, he backed away. Why did I come back? Just to have all this fall in my lap? Just like that? I... To inspire me? Just to torture me by introducing me to someone who survived this? Look... No, no, that can't be... I'm a good person. I wouldn't deserve that. Look, man, listen to me. No. No, you listen to me now. And with that, Dennis's dithering ceased. I've been having dreams, Dennis. As if returning to this life and meeting you weren't enough, well, I've been having dreams. At first, in these dreams, you were bowing down to me. My hand was on the top of your head, like like I was blessing you, you know? And then I'd put my palm over your eyelids, over the retina that detached and that you got fixed. And when I did that, then I could see. I could see perfectly. Dennis stood still, so many urges pulling him in so many directions that all he could do was stand still, mind agape. And then the dreams changed. Your eye was in my hand. I'd taken it. Dennis's jaw locked, made of metal. Max set his worthless eyes upon the fuzzy, dissolute shape before him and allowed his mind to fill in the blanks. What am I doing? Why am I doing this to Dennis? This isn't his fault. Max hardened himself against these thoughts dug his nails into his palm, pictured himself breathing smoke, the way he had steeled himself against the taunts of his father by doing his best to look intense and slightly crazed. Uh-oh, I forgot, his father used to say, long before the eye problems, for as long as he could remember. You're a tough guy, I forgot. Better not mess with you. You are absolutely fucking crazy. Listen to yourself. You're crazy. I know you've had a tough life, but you just escaped from an insane asylum. Look it up. You've been in an insane asylum. Somehow you escaped. Dennis had nothing but intuition to back up his claim. Max just nodded and smiled a little, like the way he used to with his father. The way he used to absorb all his comments and turn them into smirks, like this was just one big amusement. That's not true, and you know it. You are just making that up, 
Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid? You must be crazy. What are you even saying? Holding my fucking eye? How the fuck would that fix your vision? Your problems with your retinas, remember? Listen to yourself. You are fucking crazy. Now get out of here. Dennis still thinks he can bully around the invalid, does he? Now why shouldn't I leave, right? Go back home and let you lead your precious little life. How dare I? I'm sorry I didn't have some well-connected daddy to get me on some lists to get my retina fixed. You're one bad retina, right? You only had problems with one retina, right? God, I had problems with both my retinas. How dare someone like me even, even deign to disgrace you with my presence, you selfish fucking prick. The only reason you met me is because you know I'm right. You felt bad, guilty about your little rich kid bullshit problems, your little fake bullshit problem that daddy got all fixed up for you. I bet you tell girls all about it. It's your big admission, your big reveal to get them to think you're a survivor, that you've got some life history. Any thoughts of Dennis's unwitting innocence burned away. I'm sorry my mommy couldn't get my problems fixed, but that's what we have second chances for, now isn't it? No theory of morality Max ascribed to could defend what he planned to do. No great philosopher could articulate a moral theory absolving him. But the tremors of terror he'd felt every morning after opening these eyes, and realizing once again, oh my god, this is fucking real, this is still happening. Beneath that realization, there was a morality of intuition and self-preservation that ran deeper than sonorous intonations and ivory tower pipe dreams. Max crossed the space between them full bore. Dennis pivoted and prepared himself like a little boy playing keep away with a football. He capitulated far easier than anticipated. Get the fuck off me! Max was on top of him, knees pinned to his shoulders, in position to rain down blows if only he had known how to throw a punch. Fuck that. He fiended so badly for that eye that his fucking blood itched. As Dennis attempted to catch his breath, he opened his eyes to find that his field of vision began and ended with Max's thumb. This was real. This can't be reversed. Oh God. Oh God. The thumb found wetness and burrowed. Sounds of a wet foot stuck in mud. Max extended and chewed on his tongue, Michael Jordan, a warrior intent on the task at hand. He had no bearing of what he was doing with his left arm. It felt alternatively numb toward the top, yet somehow saturated. All that mattered was his burrowing right hand. He was back in a junior high haunted house, smushing peeled grapes. He was a medieval hero, plowing through the muck to get that precious mandrake root. Digging, digging, digging. Digging through what? No matter. Digging, digging, digging. Until he pulled and pulled, and out it came. A little pop, an audible record of satisfaction, like when he used to pull out weeds on the front lawn. 
He waited until he could catch his breath. He waited for a while. Blood trickled down his left arm, Dennis's teeth still clamped around it like a bear trap. Spit, vomit, and blood fohawked the hair on Max's left arm, which had found its way so far down Dennis's throat that if he made a thumbs up, Dennis's throat would bulge like a bullfrog. All that mattered was what he held in his right hand, his clenched fist. He brought this clenched fist to his lips and kissed his knuckles like a jubilant prize fighter. Vermiculate tendrils, viscera, little odds and ends of mysterious biology poked through the spaces between his fingers. He couldn't bear to open his eyes. They were shut so tight he half anticipated his eyeballs would explode in a gushy pop. He stayed hovering over Dennis's prostrate body until... Dare he? Dare he? Max opened his eyes. Very quickly, quicker than his quickest blink, and closed them again. At some point, he must have freed his left arm, because now he was rummaging through Dennis's pants pockets, eyes still shut, until he found Dennis's phone. He regretted making out random glimpses of names, Amy, Annie, Bert, and submerged any inkling that these names represented people who had any relationship with Dennis. He called his mother's cell phone. Miraculously, even though she'd frustrated him again and again in the past by burying her fucking cell phone in the deepest recesses of her overstuffed purse, still, somehow, she picked up. Hello? Who's this? He'd never felt his heart beat so fast. Hello? She spoke louder, thick with the obnoxious impatience of the older generation, as if the louder she spoke, the quicker answers would come. Before she hung up, believing him to be some oblivious wrong caller, he spoke. Mom, it's me. It's Max. A sound he couldn't peg, and then... How... How dare you? Who is this? I'll have you know. Mom, listen to my voice. Listen to me. Listen to my voice. How dare? Idiosyncratic. I-D-I-O-S-Y-N-C-R-A-T-I-C. Do you remember how I loved that word and how proud I was to learn how to spell it? Do you remember how I learned the alphabet by reference to dinosaurs? A is for Allosaurus, B is for Brontosaurus? Listen to me, Mom. It's me. I can't explain how, but I'm back, Mom. I've come back, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, he'd said. He'd felt sorry for so long now. But now all of his empathy and compassion were now his again to dole out, to make people happy, to be him again. My son is dead. My son is dead. He killed himself. Please, stop this. You have no idea. Please, please never call this number again. Max opened his eyes to soak it all in. He now really understood all the fuss about high-definition television. The ticker on the bottom of the screen, the news or whatever. Lord, 
those words were so crisp he could just stick out his hand, snap them right off the screen and stick them in his pocket. Mom, it's me. I'm back. I'm here. I'm in an apartment in White Plains. I need you to pick me up. And Mom... I can see... He spoke, his body spasming, his eyes no longer perpetually dry, if his tears were any indication. I'm back, Mom. I can see. Dear God, I can see... You've been listening to Sorrow Has Its Natural End by J.R. Hamantaschen. J.R. Hamantaschen is a writer of short stories, having released several collections, including A Deep Horror That Was Very Nearly Awe, with a voice that is often still confused but is becoming ever louder and clearer, and You Shall Never Know Security, from which this story is drawn. JR also co-hosts a horror podcast called The Horror of Nachos and Hamantaschen. Well, listeners, that concludes our show this evening. If you enjoyed tonight's story, I recommend you search for JR over at Velux Books, fine purveyors of horror literature who are currently in the process of republishing JR's titles. I'd like to thank JR and Velux for allowing us to feature this story tonight. Also, I wanted to remind you all that we will be closing out Season 8 of Horror Hill with full coverage of the classic tale, The Events at Porith Farm, by Ted Klein. This will be the first licensed narration of this story, and I can't wait to share it with you all in July. Of course, I'll be back next week with more spooky stories to chill your bones. Until then, listeners, stay spooky. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012 including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, username VikingGuitar, and also on Instagram as VikingGuitarProductions. 
In particular, if you're looking for someone to provide voice work for your own project, or are in need of audio production of any sort, it would be wonderful to chat. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tale performed by, yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Nikki McSorley and Eric Peabody. Finalization by Craig Groshek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave us a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.